0: Forget the crap online and listen to Science verses. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit?
1: Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. (laughs)
0: Louisa Ulrika, queen of Sweden, laughed with her courtiers. The subject of their derision, a frivolous mystic named Emanuel Swedenborg,
1: puffed out his chest, trying to maintain his dignity. Louisa had heard all about Emmanuel. He claimed to have traveled in the spirit world to other planets and to have spoken with ghosts. He even argued that aliens existed and that he communed with them regularly. Utter nonsense. But Emmanuel's
0: outlandish claims made for quite the diversion. What else was there to do on a sunny day in the late 18th century? And so, in order to embarrass him just a bit, Louisa requested that Emmanuel deliver a message to her departed brother,
1: Prince Augustus William of Prussia. She was utterly unprepared when, a short while later, Emmanuel returned to court to proclaim that he had a response from the deceased Augustus. Emmanuel relayed that her brother regretted never replying to Louisa's final letter. Instead, he would give his response now.
0: Louisa stopped cold. No living person on earth knew that she had sent a final unanswered letter to Augustus before his death. No one could ever guess at the contents of that missive, which Emmanuel now
1: whispered in Louisa's ear. A sudden chill ran down her spine. When she looked to Emmanuel again, she held him in new regard. Truly, this was a man who spoke with spirits. And if that was
0: true, maybe he really had traveled to outer space.
1: Are we alone? Have we been alone? Will we be alone? Stories of alien visitation have been ingrained in human history. Alien life may not be confirmed but our obsession with it can't be ignored. Welcome to Extraterrestrial, a ParCast Original. I'm Tim. And I'm Bill. Every Tuesday, we visit the marvelous and strange stories about our encounters with beings from another world. We're aware that some of these tales
0: may seem completely unbelievable. Others may seem all too real. But these stories shed light on human nature, human beliefs, and human psychology, and each story has garnered thousands, if not millions, of true believers. And for that reason, we think they're worth exploring. You can find all episodes of Extraterrestrial and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Extraterrestrial for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Extraterrestrial in the
1: search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This is our second episode on mystic Emanuel Swedenborg. He claimed to have a series of out-of-body experiences in 1758. During those visions, he traveled to every planet in the solar system and spoke with the spirits of dead aliens from each world. Last week, we described Emmanuel's journeys and
0: how he left the earth and found that the heavens were filled with spirits from other planets. He also conveniently found that most dead spirits shared his own Christian beliefs, even if some of those philosophies were inconsistent with Lutheranism.
1: This week, Emmanuel draws the ire of the Swedish Lutheran Church as he tries to publicize what he's learned. He also captures the attention and criticism of famous philosopher Immanuel Kant.
0: For most of his life, Immanuel Swedenborg longed to prove that Christianity was the one true religion by using reason and the scientific method. He wasn't able to do that, but he did seem to find clear evidence for the divinity of Christ when he experienced several first-hand
1: visions directly from God. The most striking of these happened in 1758 when 70-year-old Emmanuel, in a trance-like state, was able to spiritually leave his body and travel the heavens. There, he met and communicated with dead spirits from every then-known planet in the solar system, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, as well as Earth's moon. He even traveled to exoplanets and conversed
0: with spirits who lived outside our own solar system. Emmanuel found that on utterly alien worlds, most intelligent beings shared the same core
1: beliefs and the same basic biological structure. As for each planet's differences, Emmanuel learned the importance of tolerance After several failed attempts to persuade aliens of the superiority of Earth theology and practice, Emmanuel came to understand that each planet's culture was right for the individuals there. When Emmanuel returned to Earth, he was driven by a new mission,
0: to share what he'd experienced with the world. And so, in 1758, he penned several books, including Heaven and Hell and Other Planets
1: detailing his journeys through the skies. By this point, Immanuel Swedenborg was already an established author, thanks to his earlier writings on theology and science. However, he still struggled to publicize his latest texts. This was
0: because in Sweden, Lutheranism was the state religion. Heresy, or the teaching of doctrines that were incompatible with official theology, was a crime texts deemed unacceptable were banned, and heretics often lost
1: their jobs and their social standing. Emmanuel's books claimed that he'd traveled through space speaking with the spirits of dead aliens from other planets. These ghosts, in turn, revealed that people could continue to learn and grow and even convert to new religions after death. This tenet directly contradicted Orthodox Lutheran theology. In order to avoid legal problems, Emanuel had his books published in Latin under a pseudonym and distributed them only outside of Sweden. While the texts were unavailable to local Swedes, he did what he could to make them as accessible as possible outside the country. He pressed his publisher to print the books as cheaply as they could so that the affordable finished product could get into the hands of rich and poor alike. His writings found a
0: small but fervent core of supporters. Spiritualism, or the belief in the non-physical world and mystical powers associated with it, became mainstream in Europe. Emanuel's teachings about interplanetary travel and the
1: afterlife struck a nerve among intellectuals. Emanuel Swedenborg was far from the only person to turn to mysticism after an alien abduction. In 1989, UFO enthusiast Thomas E. Bullard published a list of eight common traits of extraterrestrial encounters with the Journal of American Folklore and noted that most abductees adopt New Age spiritual beliefs after their sightings. This is because the revelation that aliens exist generally opens people's minds to other extra-worldly ideas. In fact, some of Emanuel's readers were so inspired that they established new churches to preach his theology. Emanuel never sought to create a new Christian denomination, but enthusiasm for the new church, later known as the Swedenborgian church, couldn't be contained. Meanwhile, Emanuel's interplanetary
0: visions didn't stop. In fact, in the years after he first left the Earth in 1758, Emanuel continued to meditate, leaving his
1: body at will and conversing with alien spirits. And thanks to these conversations, Emanuel also gained information that wouldn't be available to him through the usual means. He was still cautious about who he revealed his powers to, But Emanuel's closest friends and associates saw him perform feats that could only be described as miracles. On July 19, 1759,
0: just one year after his first extraterrestrial encounter, Emanuel returned to Sweden after a trip to England. He disembarked in
1: Gothenburg, roughly 300 miles from Stockholm. Emanuel's friends noticed that he seemed upset, although he wouldn't say why. Around 4 p.m., it said he finally announced that inhuman spirits had informed him of a massive fire in Stockholm. Four hours later, around 8 p.m.,
0: Emmanuel reported, with apparent relief, that the fires had been put out. But his companions were skeptical. How could he know real-time information
1: about a city that was 300 miles away? But then, four days later, a messenger arrived with news of the Great Stockholm Fire of 1759. It started on July 19th and was contained by 8 p.m. that night, just as Emanuel had said.
0: Later, during a trip to England, Emanuel astonished another friend, British
1: diplomat Christopher Springer, with his otherworldly insight. One evening, the aging Emanuel relayed messages from the ghosts of Springer's departed friends and family members. Springer was astonished at the details Emanuel was able to share. Only the dead could have given him this information.
0: Most strikingly, Emanuel described an instance in which Count Klaus Ekiblad of Stockholm unsuccessfully tried to bribe Springer. Although Springer refused the money, he'd also agreed to keep the attempt a secret
1: in order to preserve Ekeblad's reputation. Emanuel even told Springer the correct amount of money that had been offered as a bribe. On another occasion,
0: Emanuel Swedenborg astonished the Swedish court when he correctly reported the contents of a personal letter exchanged between Queen Louisa and her dead brother, Prince Augustus William of Prussia. The date of this exchange isn't known, nor are the details contained in the queen's letter, but it seems that after Emanuel revealed his spiritual knowledge, even the Swedish royal family became
1: convinced of his mystical powers. But while Emanuel won friends and supporters, he also made powerful enemies. In
0: 1769, the Swedish Lutheran Church launched heresy investigations into members of the new church, While Emanuel himself was
1: never charged, several of his followers were investigated and forced out of their jobs. Then, a year later, in 1770, Emanuel's publications came under fire. While they were never officially declared heretical, the Swedish government deemed that they contained errors of doctrine. In other words, they were dangerous texts to be avoided by upstanding citizens. The legal
0: pronouncements scared many potential converts away from the new church. But this wasn't the only challenge to winning new devotees. Most people simply
1: never took Emmanuel's teachings seriously in the first place. His theories and visions were just too weird, too different from traditional Lutheran teachings. And although Emmanuel tried to support his claims with the best logic and reasoning he could, he found several critics within the intellectual elite chief among
0: these was influential philosopher Immanuel Kant, and this famous thinker, today known for his groundbreaking The Critique of Pure Reason, wouldn't rest until Immanuel Swedenborg was utterly discredited.
1: Up next, we'll discuss Kant's attempts to debunk Immanuel Swedenborg's extraterrestrial visions. Now, back to the story. In 1758, 70-year-old Emanuel Swedenborg anonymously published Heaven and Hell and Other Planets, which detailed his experiences traveling across the solar system and beyond. The books were met with some acclaim, but most readers found his philosophical musings to be confusing, heretical, or utterly insane. In this
0: latter category was famous philosopher Immanuel Kant, As he detailed in his book, The Critique of Pure Reason, Kant believed that all human knowledge had
1: to be backed up with empirical evidence and airtight logical reasoning. If someone made an argument that could not be proven with science or careful thought, Kant rejected such claims as unknowable. When Kant first read
0: Swedenborg's publications, he objected to his assertions that his faith was based on reason and logic. In fact, he found Emanuel Swedenborg's arguments to be
1: completely illogical. Kant released a scathing 1770 treatise titled Theoretical Philosophy. In his publication, he picked apart all of Emanuel's claims and exposed them as devoid of logic and reason. First,
0: Kant criticized Emanuel for his lack of hard evidence to support his visions. He argued that no reasonable person could accept Emmanuel's extraterrestrial
1: claims at face value without some way of backing them up. After all, Emmanuel could have been lying. But even if he completely believed his own arguments, that didn't preclude Emmanuel from having been deceived. His journeys to another planet could well have been dreams, hallucinations, or even some kind of elaborate prank. Kant's next criticism was that Emanuel's journeys were
0: self-aggrandizing. Kant, like many UFO skeptics who came after him, wondered what was so special about Emanuel Swedenborg that he was able to speak with extraterrestrials and travel to other planets when so many others were trapped on Earth.
1: It would be one thing if Swedenborg had built an elaborate spaceship, but all he'd done was meditate and let his mind wander. If interplanetary treks were really that simple, why hadn't countless others in the entire history of humanity gone on the same journey? Kant's conclusion was that Emmanuel's
0: entire testimony was a flight of fancy, nothing more. He concluded that Emanuel Swedenborg's illogical premises suggested that he was
1: a candidate for the asylum. Emanuel Swedenborg had spent his entire lifetime establishing himself as one of the greatest scientific minds of his generation. But by 1770, when he was 82, he was debunked, discredited, and publicly humiliated.
0: Even in the face of all this adversity, however, Emmanuel didn't retract his claims. He seemed to genuinely believe that he'd traveled to other planets and stood by the authenticity of his visions, even at the cost of his hard-earned
1: reputation. But his most devoted followers still believed in him, and he maintained close friendships with some of his era's greatest theologians, including John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. One day in late February
0: 1772, Emanuel sent a letter to Wesley. He claimed that he'd heard from alien spirits that Wesley wanted to visit with him and urged the minister
1: to come at once. Wesley was astonished. He had been thinking of reaching out to his friend but had been too busy recently. He wrote back to Emanuel asking if they could plan something for that fall. Emanuel's reply insisted that autumn
0: was too late. He would go into the world of spirits on the 29th of
1: March, never more to return. Although Wesley liked Emmanuel personally, he'd never bought into his more outlandish claims. So he dismissed Emmanuel's prophecy about the date of his own death and resolved to see his old friend a few months later. But on March 29th, 1772,
0: the very day of his prediction, 84-year-old Immanuel Swedenborg suffered a fatal stroke. He went to his grave utterly convinced
1: that his revelations about God and the universe were true. And he left behind more than a dozen books supporting his theories. Although Emanuel was no longer around to shepherd the growing Swedenborgian church, his teachings lived on. The new church still faced charges of
0: heresy in Sweden, but it found fertile soil in other countries by 1787 the new church was an officially recognized christian denomination in england the people based their theology around Immanuel swedenborg's writings about the true nature of god life after death and interplanetary
1: spirit travel from there swedenborgian missionaries traveled to africa and to the americas Again, their beliefs were far outside of the mainstream and were never going to catch on with huge numbers of people. But they found a few committed and high-profile converts. Famous Swedenborgians included John Chapman, better known as Johnny Appleseed, and Helen Keller. We should note at this point that Emanuel's philosophies weren't just about divine revelations and alien visitations. He also wrote about ordinary people living their normal lives on earth. Emmanuel claimed that during his travels to other planets,
0: he learned the importance of tolerance and respect for other cultures. He came to understand that every individual experiences God in a different way, and
1: that people shouldn't criticize others' personal beliefs. However, in practice, Emmanuel was quick to speak out against what he perceived to be false teachings. Like many 18th century Protestants, he saw the Catholic Church as corrupt and sacrilegious. He wrote that Catholics used the threat of hell to bully people into devotion, that clergy members enriched themselves instead of practicing piety, and that their doctrine of the Holy Trinity was flawed. In his
0: book, Last Judgment, which discussed end times prophecy, Emmanuel went so far as to describe Catholicism as the Great Babylon, an evil empire that serves the devil in the lead up to the apocalypse. So much
1: for religious tolerance. He also had a decidedly unenlightened attitude about race. Emmanuel argued that African people were all inherently more spiritual because they weren't as logical and scientific as Western Europeans. Emmanuel believed that people with an African heritage were more naive than members of other races,
0: but that this simplicity left them more receptive to telepathic spiritual
1: communication from angels and aliens. This argument is unmistakably racist, but Emmanuel's stance could be considered fairly progressive for his time when many Western thinkers saw people of color as inherently less than. Because of Emanuel's arguments in defense of African spirituality, some
0: members of the Swedenborgian church were among the first abolitionists in the United States of
1: America. But Swedenborgian Christianity was never destined to be a large denomination. Although Emanuel's followers still practice today, as of 2010, there were only 1,500 active Swedenborgians in the U.S., the denomination has struggled to find a large number of converts to take Emanuel's extraterrestrial claims seriously. And that brings us to our key
0: question. Were Emanuel Swedenborg's followers deceived by an 18th century con artist? Did they build an entire religion around one man's
1: interplanetary hallucinations? Or is it possible that Emanuel Swedenborg's adventures actually took place? The simplest and easiest
0: explanation would be to write off Emanuel's claims as fiction. We need only to look at how humanity's understanding of the solar system has changed since 1758,
1: when he allegedly left the Earth and journeyed through space. As we mentioned last week, Emanuel's descriptions of life on other planets was consistent with his own 18th-century understanding of the solar system. He described worlds like Venus, Mars, and the Moon as hosting verdant, grassy fields, fruit orchards, and human-like aliens. But modern scientists understand that these planets lack the atmosphere to support an Earth-like ecosystem. Likewise, Immanuel described visiting the surfaces of Jupiter and Saturn.
0: Astronomers today understand that there is no such thing as a surface
1: on these gas giants. We can't so easily dismiss Emmanuel's journeys to five exoplanets outside the solar system. He didn't describe where these five planets were located in the universe. And it is possible, and even likely, that Earth-like planets may support intelligent life outside our own solar neighborhood. That
0: being said, it is notable that, as Emmanuel ventured to these exoplanets, he made no mention of Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, the asteroid belt, or the Kuiper belt, likely because these celestial bodies hadn't yet been discovered in
1: Emmanuel's time. Some of Emanuel's followers, however, counter that his accounts are not as impossible as modern science would suggest. After all, Emmanuel never claimed to physically visit the surface of any of these worlds. Because he was traveling on the spiritual plane, he was only capable of seeing and communicating with other spirits. He learned about life on other planets by accessing their memories. According to Emmanuel's followers, ghosts may have no clear sense of the passage
0: of time. A soul that has been dead for millions of years might remember its
1: life as though it were only days ago. And so Martians, Venusians, and moon people may have met Emmanuel long after life on their planets and all evidence of their civilizations was wiped out. They conveyed information about their cultures as though they were still thriving. Perhaps they didn't even realize that their people were long extinct. This explanation may not be as
0: outlandish as it initially seems. NASA researchers speculate that for up to 2 billion of its early years, Venus may have potentially had a
1: climate somewhat similar to Earth. It might have been capable of supporting life. Granted, there's a lot of conjecture in that statement. There's still much about Venus's history that we don't know, but it's not wholly unrealistic to claim that ancient aliens could have once lived on the planet. That doesn't mean, however, that Venus's hypothetical life was intelligent, Earth-like, or Christian.
0: As for Jupiter and Saturn, perhaps the aliens Swedenborg met came not from the planets themselves, but from some of the dozens of identified moons orbiting the gas giants. The American Astronomical Society notes that some of these moons have their own atmosphere, magnetic poles, and other features
1: that mean they could potentially support life. Swedenborg had no way of knowing about these moons, so perhaps he just misunderstood what these spirits were telling him. Swedenborgian minister and author Lee Wuffenden has another possible explanation. The spirits Emmanuel was speaking with were intentionally lying. As Woofenden explained, the afterlife is filled with both good and bad spirits who have all of eternity to travel from planet to planet and grow or regress as a person. There's no scientific reason to believe that gas giants like Jupiter and Saturn could ever have supported life. But Emmanuel, who didn't know any better, may have been deceived by lying spirits who claim to be from these uninhabitable planets. If, however, we take this
0: argument at face value, we're left with a situation where we can't reasonably evaluate Emanuel's arguments at all. If spirits could have lied and claimed they were from Jupiter or Saturn, why would we accept the testimony from Martians or Venusians?
1: Couldn't any spirit, or all of the spirits, have been lying? As Immanuel Kant complained in 1770, if we can't accept Emanuel Swedenborg's testimony as accurate... And if he has no physical proof to back it up, why should we believe anything he says at all? As we discussed
0: last week, Emmanuel spent his adult life trying to find a rational, science-based formula to prove that Christianity was the one true religion. He failed, but in lieu of real scientific research, tried to point to his own interplanetary revelations as exactly the kind of proof
1: he'd been seeking. If Emmanuel faked his visions in order to save face, this would account for the fact that his planetary knowledge was off base. It would also explain the strange racist stances he took in his later writings. On the other hand, if Emmanuel did invent these visions, he paid for it dearly.
0: He was publicly mocked, debunked, and his friends and followers were charged with heresy. Whatever he gained from the lie, he surely lost much
1: more. And if his alien abductions weren't real, then Emanuel suffered humiliations and a blow to his reputation for nothing. It's difficult
0: to believe anyone would stand by such a harmful lie without any clear benefit. So if Emanuel Swedenborg wasn't lying and wasn't
1: telling the truth, how do we account for his journeys through space? As Kant suggested, Emanuel might have been hallucinating or dreaming, but author Marcia Keith Shuckard has a more complicated theory that Emanuel's interplanetary testimony hinted at his secret life as an international spy.
0: Up next, we'll look at claims that Emanuel was involved in espionage. Now, back to the story. In 1758, Immanuel Swedenborg wrote a series of books on Christianity, mysticism, and alien life. His works, including Other Planets and Heaven and Hell, were widely disparaged, and he died humiliated on March 29, 1772,
1: at age 84. Since that time, debate has raged on how to interpret Emanuel's writings. Some followers converted to Swedenborgian Christianity, believing that he was a prophet who'd caught a glimpse into life after death beyond the earth's reaches. Others tried to write Emanuel off as a liar or con artist. But perhaps he didn't consciously
0: lie, instead managing to convince himself that a dream or hallucination
1: was true. His visions almost always came in the form of dreams, or while Emmanuel was meditating. This is quite common. Very few alleged alien encounters happen when the abductee is wide awake. Researchers Richard McNally and Susan Clancy believe that the vast majority of extraterrestrial encounters are nothing more than very vivid dreams. In a large psychological analysis of people who believe they were
0: abducted by aliens, McNally, Clancy, and their team found that most abductees suffered from sleep paralysis, or a medical condition in which
1: people find themselves unable to move for a few seconds after waking. Although sleep paralysis is not harmful, its sufferers often experience confusion and terror when they wake up, temporarily paralyzed. McNally and Clancy
0: speculated that some people wake after a nightmare featuring UFO imagery— find themselves unable to move, and conclude that the nightmare was actually real. This all happens on an unconscious level, with abductees
1: often completely unaware that they even experience sleep paralysis. Furthermore, McNally and Clancy found that while many extraterrestrial narratives had a grounded, earthbound explanation, the trauma of the abduction still felt deeply real to the impacted people. In some cases, lingering effects of PTSD were as severe as if the abductees had survived combat. Most people who
0: experienced alien sightings weren't consciously lying. Even after their abduction stories were thoroughly debunked, the patients continued to believe,
1: utterly, that their testimony was true. And whatever else we can say about Emanuel Swedenborg, he also seemed completely convinced that he really traveled to other planets. He was so resolute, his contemporaries openly speculated on his mental health. Swedish baron Daniel Tilas was once heard observing, Swedenborg reports these things without a screw seeming to be loose in the clockwork in other respects. A week later, Tilas wrote a letter to
0: a friend describing Emanuel. Many consider him crazy, but I
1: desire to scan the matter more thoroughly before expressing myself upon it. Ultimately, T. Last decided that Emanuel's accounts were persuasive and became one of his most devoted followers. Even Emanuel himself sometimes
0: suffered doubts about his own claims. In an undated diary entry, he mused on whether or not he'd simply imagined everything—the visions from God, the travels to other planets, the alien spirits— he ultimately concluded that his experiences had been real, although his reasoning was a
1: bit suspect in this regard. In 1915, historian Martin Lom reviewed Emmanuel's writings and journals in an attempt to discern his mental state using modern psychoanalytical techniques. Lom found it quite clear
0: that Emmanuel's philosophies and visions were the result of an agitated mental
1: state. But he stopped short of attempting to diagnose Emmanuel. He did, however, utterly dismiss all of his claims, saying his minute descriptions of the spiritual world, its inhabitants, and their life do not bear the scrutiny of reason. Given that
0: Immanuel Swedenborg is now centuries dead, we may never be able to conclusively speak to his mental state at the time he wrote Other Planets and Heaven
1: and Hell. All we can do is analyze his behavior and his writings. But author Marcia Keith Shuckard has an alternate theory that Emanuel Swedenborg was a spy. If that's the case, his texts about traveling to other planets could have actually been encoded messages about the state of international politics. Shuckard detailed how Emanuel, as a respected intellectual from a good
0: family, had numerous powerful connections, including those within Sweden's royal family. In addition, he traveled extensively through his adult life,
1: insinuating himself in power circles throughout Europe. According to Schuckard, Swedenborg was well-situated to advise and influence the politics of the time. When Sweden's King Charles XII launched campaigns to seize monarchical power in Prussia, Emmanuel was conveniently connected to several key people and events. To further support Shuckard's theories, in the centuries following
0: Emmanuel's death, Several of his associates were outed as spies.
1: For example, he was close friends with Danish Major General Christian Tuxen. Tuxen secretively relayed confidential information about Russian politics to the Danish crown from 1742 to 1792. Perhaps
0: Emmanuel knew exactly what Tuxen was and was engaging in some counter espionage
1: of his own. If Emmanuel was a spy, he surely had a covert network of sources. He could clandestinely learn information about, say, the queen's secret correspondences or the attempted bribery of a government official. Then, later, he could reveal that information as though it were a message from a heavenly spirit. Shuckard even found a connection between Emmanuel's espionage
0: and later interplanetary visions. She postulated that he suffered a mental breakdown and hallucinated everything as a stress-based reaction
1: to the pressure of the intricate political games he played. Another possibility is that Swedenborg never received any visions or hallucinations. Instead, he was transmitting state secrets through a coded language so dense even his enemies couldn't discern the real meaning of his writings on alien planets and extraterrestrial ghosts. If this was the case, it would explain
0: why men like Tuxin were so deeply interested in Emanuel's writings. It wasn't that he was considering converting to the Swedenborgian church. It was
1: because he was scouring Emanuel's texts for their deeper political meanings. Schuckert offers a thrilling interpretation of Emanuel's work, but unfortunately has little to back it up beyond circumstantial evidence. Emanuel Swedenborg had many friends among Sweden's wealthy elite, and he traveled extensively. But neither of these factors on their own are proof that a person is a spy.
0: And while his writings could have been encoded transmissions, there's no clear key as to how to decrypt Emanuel's interplanetary testimony and learn
1: the real message within. We can't say whether Emmanuel was a spy, a liar, or a man with undiagnosed mental illness. The details of his life are simply too shrouded in mystery. We also can't reasonably speculate on his reasons for penning other
0: planets, heaven and hell, and his other writings. But we can evaluate how
1: persuasive we find them based on their content. To start, Emmanuel's testimony is utterly incompatible with a modern understanding of astronomy. He described visits to planets that could not exist given our own scientific knowledge. A Jupiter lush with plowed fields, a Mercury dotted with babbling brooks, and a Saturn that marked the outer limits of our own solar system. Besides these major factual errors, there are also the logical
0: holes that Immanuel Kant pointed out. Emanuel Swedenborg had no physical evidence of his journeys, nor could he explain why he and he alone
1: was capable of traveling to space. The only real point in Emanuel's favor is his later miracles. He claimed to speak to the spirits of dead aliens who told him about the Great Stockholm Fire of 1759, a secret correspondence from the Queen of Sweden, and the attempted bribery of a British official. However, there are other ways Emanuel could have learned these things,
0: especially given his political connections. Even if he wasn't a spy, he
1: still might have had friends who kept him informed. We're forced to conclude that Emanuel Swedenborg's journey across space only merits a 1 out of 10 on the believability scale, with 10 being likely and 1 being very unbelievable I agree that it's a one. At the time that he wrote Heaven and Hell and
0: Other Planets, he told a narrative that was consistent with the best astronomical
1: information of the time. But even his contemporaries found Emanuel's testimony to be impossible. And since then, science has marched on, further invalidating Emanuel's claims. Does intelligent life exist outside of Earth?
0: And do those aliens have a vested interest in humanity? We can't answer either of those questions conclusively,
1: yet. But we can say that Emanuel's visions helped him develop a philosophy of tolerance that was, in many ways, ahead of its time. Considering that most alleged alien encounters
0: lead to fear, anxiety, and feelings of being violated, this is one abduction that we wish was real. Thanks for tuning in to Extraterrestrial. For more information on Emanuel Swedenborg, amongst the many sources we used, we found Kant's Aliens, The Anthropology and Its Others by David L. Clark, Emanuel Swedenborg, Secret Agent on Earth and in Heaven by Marsha Keith Shuckard, and Emanuel Swedenborg, Scientist and Mystic by Signe Tuxvig, extremely helpful to our research. Next week, we'll return with another new episode of Extraterrestrial. You can find more episodes of Extraterrestrial and
1: all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Extraterrestrial for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Extraterrestrial on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Extraterrestrial in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCastNetwork. Network. We'll see you next time. Extraterrestrial was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler
0: Media and part of the Parcast Network. It's produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Joel Stein, and Travis Clark. This episode of Extraterrestrial was written by Angela Jorgensen and stars Bill Thomas and Tim Johnson.